Imagine you're out playing with your friends. A bright light streaks across the sky, crashes nearby, and like any good kid, you decide you need to go investigate this. And You gather up your little posse, and you get out there in the woods, and you encounter what can only be described as a terrifying alien entity that, that leaves you sick for days. Straight out of X-Files. This happened back in the 50s in West Virginia in a little place called Flatwoods. Not known for much else, I might add. So tonight we're going to talk about the Flatwoods Monster. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Now, I say now a lot. I'm the monster guy. I love talking about monsters. I love talking about creatures. I love talking about sightings. You go way back to episode one. The Hopkinsville Goblins. Dropped it. Dropped the mic right on the monster yeah. the first episode. Yeah, that, that was... <laughs> back in our early, early days. I, I, I think I insisted that had to be episode one back at the time. I, I think you did. And, and again, it's still a, a story that I love. I love talking about creatures and monsters. I think I'm just... Uh, I'm fascinated with that kind of thing. I, I I don't know any other way to describe it. I like Momo and the skunk ape, and you know, you talk about any kind of creatures. Megalodons, swans, yeah, megalodons. I mean, I am fascinated with with creatures, and I know with cryptozoology, you know, sometimes we find creatures that we we thought didn't exist. We're finding stuff that we thought to be extinct for thousands and thousands of years are still alive with us here. But then you have an encounter like this. With a creature that is so alien that at first I did not remember it. This I did not remember this story as being that of a UFO encounter. Right. I just remember the story of the Flatwoods monster. Monster, not not Flatwoods alien. And and as I sat down and I started putting my notes together, I realized no, this is a UFO story. Absolutely and, agree with you. I'm with you 110. percent Prior to starting this episode, we talked about that. You know, we were trying to to figure out. You know, th- this podcast has always been a conversation. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't plan things in advance. Eric does his research, I do my research, and then we come together. We're telling the story to each other. Yeah, and, and we relate it as, as we put it together. And so with what little prep we do have is usually prior to recording an episode, we'll sort of say, okay, what do you got? What do I get? Literally like two to three minutes. And and so, yeah, I mean, this, this really became more of a discussion about UFOs for you. Uh, of course, I, I, I focused on the creature, and then I, I have some... Some other encounters, which a lot of people don't realize, there was more than just the one encounter with the Flatwoods monster. There were two or three others in the same time frame. Well, me being the historian, let me get set the background for a little bit about the huge, gigantic, thriving metropolis of <laughs> Flatwoods. There, there's no uh, hyperbole there at all. Not, there? None at all. Flatwoods, West Virginia, is in Braxton County. It's not really near any major attraction or city. If you were looking on a map... Probably the best you might notice is it's about halfway between Lexington, Kentucky, and Washington, D.C., if you were to draw (laughs) lines across the map. Population in 2020 was a mere 264 citizens. 264. The name was given to the town due to the 
flat plateau of a heavily wooded forest region within the mountainous, normal, what you would consider, areas of West Virginia. But what that town is known for, they have fully embraced, and is obviously the Flatwood Monster. And again, I will stress, they don't call it Flatwood Alien. It's the Flatwood Monster, Flatwood's Monster. He set the scene here a little bit. September 12th, 1952, just before dark. It's getting there. I'd say the sun's just about set. Uh, about 7.15 p.m. in the evening, four boys are playing football on the lawn of Flatwoods Elementary School. Now, the 50s were a different time, and back then you could do something like that. You could be out, you know, playing in the schoolyard, you know, late at night. I guess, they, you know, as long as you'd already had dinner and you were home in time to go to bed, yeah, you, know, you could just kind of hang out and play. And that was, you know, those were good times. They were, they were different times. Totally. You know, I, I don't let my kids go outside without me watching them like a hawk, but so there were four boys playing football on the lawn of Flatwoods Elementary School. It was Tommy Heyer, age 10, Edward May, age 13, Freddie May, age 12, his brother, and Neil Nudley, age 14. Now these boys are playing football when all of a sudden they see a bright light streak across the sky overhead. What is this bright light? They don't know. They've never seen this thing. They don't know what it is. Now, there was supposed to be a meteor shower that night, mm-hmm. according to scientists. I did read that. Did they see a meteor? Maybe they did. Now, this bright light seemed to crash into a hillside on a neighboring farm belonging to G. Bailey Fisher, local farmer. So they want to, they want to, you know, they think something crashed. These boys, they want to go check it out. They want to see what it is. Which I don't blame them. I would have done the same thing at that age. Now, I will interject here. I found, uh, I had never come across this with a story, but there was also a plane crash in a nearby community. I didn't know about that. Uh, so again, seeing something streaking across the sky and, and where your story is going to take us, that would later kind of come up. Uh, actually, that's what delayed the sheriff and the uh, deputy from arriving in a timely manner to investigate this is they were dispatched to a small plane crash. So this group of boys, they run towards what they think of as the crash site. And between them and their crash site is the May home, uh, where, they, where the May boys stop and they tell their mom, Kathleen, what they saw. Now, Kathleen, being the good mother, she's, she doesn't want them run out in the woods at night, you know, in the dark on their own. So she's going to go with them. Well, can you imagine these teenage boys show back up? The, you know, they're going <laughs> 90 to nothing. Oh, my, my, my. Yeah, you yeah, never yeah. get what we just saw. Yeah, we, we saw the light. <laughs> we crashed. It was, I can only imagine. It's like, calm down, calm down. So Kathleen calls family friend, West Virginia National Guardsman Eugene Lemon, and they, she tells him what they're telling her. And, of course, he's like, okay. He gets the family dog, and he goes over, and they all uh, start heading towards the woods. They're they're joined by another neighborhood kid, Ronnie Shaver, age 10. So you've got all these little kids. Just load up in the back of the truck. Yeah, you've got all these these teens and preteens, and they all load up. Not in the back of the truck. They, <laughs> they trek through the woods. They're walking through uh, the woods. Okay, okay. That was uh, a different commercial for a Chevy yeah. Chevy uh, <laughs> truck commercial. So they, they take off into the woods in search of this crashed whatever it may be. By Kathleen's account, which Kathleen's story is, is mostly what this is based off of, the woods seemed to be filled with a soft purple glow as they proceeded towards what they thought of as the crash site. Uh, they began to notice a metallic smell in the air, as well as a number of high-pitched noises coming from the darkness ahead. If something crashes and metal heats and cools, we know metal makes a pinging sound. Mm-hmm. Your own car, mm-hmm. if you drive for a long way and you pull into the driveway, you'll hear it ping and pop. So I assume what they had heard was, was whatever object had crashed. Well, and you mentioned the smell of metal. That might throw yeah. a few people off, but I'll tell you what. Have you ever tasted metal? Like when you get an injection, I swear to goodness, when they inject that needle in you, you're like, hmm, yeah, that tastes well, it's like, like metal. A, like a penny. 
Yeah. You, you think of it like, oh, it tastes like a penny yeah. kind of. So I get that. And, uh, you know, blood has kind of a metallic smell to it. So so at, at some point, Lemon's dog runs ahead out of sight, barking at something. He does, they don't know what. It just takes off. Um, you know, that's what dogs do. <laughs> My dogs do that all the time. But shortly after the dog returns scared, tail between his legs, uh, skittish, whatever it is, something has frightened this dog and it has run away for its own safety, coming back to the group. Now, as they come to the top of a hill, and this is where the story really kind of comes together, they walk into a thick mist that still has that metallic smell to it. Again, you would, you would think from a crash site. I mean, totally plausible. Uh, they, they say they all found the smell to be nauseating, and they saw an oddly shaped object lodged into the ground. While they're there looking around, trying to figure out what's going on, Lemon thought he saw two lights in a tree to the left of the glowing ball. At this point, he just sees the, the two little lights. Now, he's carrying a flashlight, reflected light. Lemon thinks this is a, a possum or a raccoon, something up in the tree. Uh, so he signs his flashlight over there to see what it is. And they see what Kathleen described as a fire-breathing monster, 10 feet tall with a bright green body and a blood-red face, glowing orange eyes that seem to reflect light back at them, and, and, and the green body seemed to glow as well. Now, it had a hood-like shape around the face that was described as looking like a spade from a deck of cards. That one really took me. I was like, wow, okay. It had hands. They were kind of small, but they were they ended in claws. And had elongated fingers, yeah. I believe. Uh, it seemed to be wearing what they called a dark-colored metal dress, and it seemed to be levitating off the ground. Now, obviously, we're an audible podcast, but the sketch that comes out of this, it looks like an old Star Trek or Doctor oh, Who-looking yeah. creature. Like almost an aluminum foil dress. I mean, you know. Yeah, the... the the sketch of the Flatwoods monster, the picture, I'll be honest, it, it's almost <laughs> enough to put you off of wanting to tell this story. It's so outlandish yes, looking. it's out there. So, when the creature saw the group, it hissed at them in an aggressive manner, and then it began to float toward them between the trees. Now, the whole while, it is lit from behind by what they called a large pulsating ball of fire. Now, could this be the fire of a wrecked spaceship? Something, you know... Whatever, but it was backlit the whole time, which probably doesn't help the feeling of menace or terror or anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah, and you're standing there in this foggy, smoky mist yeah. anyhow and blinking lights reflecting off the trees. So Lemon screamed and fell backwards. The rest of the group is frozen in fear as the monster approaches them, which I can't say I blame them if I'd seen the same thing. The creature then reaches towards Kathleen and sprays her with an oily substance. That was doesn't interesting. say what, but... And and they say it left a trail of the same substance wherever it hovered. Yeah, was that saliva? Was that blood? Was that urine? Was that what? I, I don't know. So after it sprayed Kathleen, it kind of, this seemed to break whatever it was. You know, it seemed to shake them out of their fear. And they all managed to flee from the scene. They ran home through the woods screaming in terror. They get back to the home uh, where Kathleen immediately calls the police. Now, as far as this mist that they breathed in, this metallic smell, you know, Kathleen said that they had strange symptoms after the encounter, which included throat irritation, vomiting, and nausea, and these symptoms persisted for days. Now, let me jump in here. I will say uh, descriptions do vary somewhat on the, uh, on the stories. In one article for Fate magazine, um, which was based on a tape-recorded interviews of different people uh, in the area who had later went and visited, and some of these younger kids now older. UFO writer Gray Barker 
Describe the figure as approximately 10 feet, 3 meters tall, uh, with the round blood face that Bill mentioned, a large pointed hood-like shape around the face, eyes uh, shaped which emitted green to orange light, and a darker black-green body. Again, a lot of this is very typical. Stating it was hard to tell in the dark surroundings what the true color was. Was it a dark black, a, a, a charcoal gray, green? And again, it's dark outside. It's going to be hard well, to it, distinguish. It's dark. The creature's backlit. So, yeah. you know. Uh, you're you know, shaking with fear. You know, so. Now, May described the figure as having the small claw-like hands and clothing that had pleats and many folds yep. in it. Uh, a head that resembled the Ace of Spades, which, again, that really took me the first time I read it. But now that is believed to have been a hood, possibly, of sorts, which I can definitely see that. I have another story, another sighting, which may help okay. explain that a little. So it wasn't necessarily the, the skeletal skull head shape, possibly. It was possibly just this big, oversized cloaked hood, which, if you think about it, Draped down over the ears, it would definitely give a Ace of Spades style silhouette, especially with it being backlit. Now, as I said, Kathleen called the cops right away. Uh, investigation turned up very little evidence, however. Local Sheriff Carr and Deputy Burnell did confirm that they went out there and, and they detected the strange metallic odor. Several hours later. Yep. Because they were investigating that crashed aircraft. Uh, uh, a. A. Lee Stewart. And not A. Lee Stewart, but A is in middle, for is A is in first initial. A. Lee Stewart, co-publisher of the Braxton County Democrat local newspaper, he also went to the site and reported a metallic smell. He said, quote, the odor was still there. It was sort of warm and sickening. And there were two places about six to eight feet in diameter where the brush has been trampled down. Now, he also supposedly found some elongated tracks some and the oily substance and on the ground. However, there was a truck from a local farm, possibly the farm owner, who had gone out there, and so they think those tracks were from his truck, Another and the oil was a leak from his oil. Another teenage friend by the name of Max Lockard came forward. Uh, he said that same night, this is where my Chevy truck commercial comes in, uh, he had pulled his Chevy truck out across the field to investigating himself, stating that he circled the area multiple times, just trying to see what all <laughs> the, the fuss was about, so... Now, some versions of this story do include a men in black element. Oh, yes. Where uh, Kathleen May there, the, the dress that she had, obviously had the oil on it. Uh, the men in black showed up and sort of debriefed or questioned them, however you want to phrase it. Uh, they, they did have their usual menace about them. This isn't Will Smith. and Well, Tommy Lee Jones is kind of menacing. But, <laughs> you know, this wasn't Will Smith trying to come out there and, and be cool and whatnot. This was the, the old school men in black. They're there to intimidate. You know, you keep the story to yourself. We want to take the dress and analyze what was on it. And they they told her she they would return the dress. Uh, apparently, they never did. Of course not. Some others said that the men in black, we'll, we'll just simply call them that, went out to the field and actually removed at least part of the debris. And they believe that's where some of the skid marks, drag marks, and the oil unknown gooey substance was <laughs> strung across as well. So. According to a former news editor, Holt Bryan, newspaper stories were carried throughout the country. Radio broadcasts on national levels of network. Hundreds of phone calls were made and received from all parts of the country here to this little rural town. Uh, the National Press Services rated the story number 11 for the entire year. And a minister from Brooklyn came to question the May family. 
Uh, a Pittsburgh paper sent a special reporter, uh, UFO and uh, Fortean writers like Gray Barker and Ivan T. Sanderson also arrived to investigate. And these kind of came into the small little rural community and spent, from what it sounds like, several weeks, if not months, you know, still trying to interview and find people. Because, again, it wasn't just the maze that saw this big streak going across. I mean, that was something that was spotted by hundreds, if not thousands of people. Yeah, lots of people saw that. Then the speculation came in, okay, well, was it an asteroid meteor? meteor? Was it a, a ship? Was it the aircraft that the sheriff and deputy had went to investigate further? You know, what was it actually? Was there truly debris that fell? Could it have been one of the motors or something off the airplane that dropped down? And you had, you know, of course, back in that time frame, you still had jet engines and stuff. But was it like gasoline from that? Was that some of the pungent smells? Was that some of the glowing, fiery lights? So there was a lot of speculation. I'm not going to go off too far off rail. But to me, again, this just this was a UFO story to me. And so I'm like, well, okay, well, obviously, if something's streaking across the sky, you shouldn't have just a couple people see it. So we can check that box. We have hundreds, if not thousands of people that as the newspaper reporters and stuff were here, they interviewed. And yes, I saw that. And it was blue. No, it was purple. No, it was yellow. It was at 715. No, it was at 615. You get the little tiny differences and variances. But the point was multiple people saw similar things that same night. So I'm like, okay, well, this is just. A, a UFO encounter, possibly of a crashed ship. And I thought, this has been happening not only in America, but across the, the entire world for, you know, I'm thinking at least a couple hundred years. And actually, I went back, I went so deep down into a rabbit hole. And again, I'm not going to get us off topic too much, but did you realize one of the first possible, we'll use the word alleged UFO sightings was in 1440 BC? in ancient Egypt. On some papyrus scrolls they have uncovered, uh, a pharaoh, Tutmos III, reported that fiery disks were encountered floating over the skies. The committee at that time disputed the legitimacy of the, not the story, but of the papyrus scrolls saying that they were faked. So, okay, maybe we'll chalk that one off. Back in 76 BC in the Roman area, uh, according to Pilony, the elder, a spark fell from a star and grew as it descended until it appeared to be the size of the moon before it came close to touching the earth's surface, then ascended back up to the heavens and was transformed into light. So again, we've had a lot of this going on for far longer than, than I have. So, uh, But I don't want to get us too far off. We're talking about the Flatwood Monster tonight. Well, let's just add my own little piece to that. There's like Cambodian temple art from yeah. ancient, you know, ruins mm-hmm. that depict, you know, UFO-like ships and, and aliens, uh, things that look suspiciously like the Flatwoods monster in some of them. So it's definitely a phenomenon that's been going on for a long time, and we could do a whole episode on Absolutely. historical UFO and we, encounters. we may. But on that night, September 12th, 1952, people as far away as in Maryland, Pennsylvania, as well as Virginia did spot something streaking across the sky. Well, and like you said, it, it received national attention, so much so that it even became part of a Project Blue Book investigation, which Project Blue Book was the government's sort of official UFO investigation d- department, part of the Air Force. Now, the encounter we relate is sort of the main story of the Flatwoods Monster. That's the story you're going to hear 
most places. That's the encounter. However, a little bit of looking around, there were some other encounters, possibly with the same creature, in that area in a very short time frame. So, I had not come across any of these. Miss Mrs. Audra Harper claimed to see the monster while walking in the woods. Uh, now, this was near the town of Heaters, about five miles north of Flatwoods. Harper was uh, with a with a friend walking to a, a nearby store. They were going to walk up the road, but it would actually be faster to cut through the woods. And since they didn't figure there was anything to worry about, they decided to go ahead and go through the woods. Sure. About a half a mile through the woods, they noticed a, what they said was a ball of fire up on a nearby hill. Now, they thought maybe the neighbors were out doing something, having a bonfire or whatever. Uh, I think at one point she said maybe they were hunting. You know, she didn't really know, but she just chalked that up to being the neighbors. So they, they really didn't think much about it. They walked a little further, and the next time they looked up on the hill, they were terrified to see the giant silhouette of some something. That's all they described as a, a silhouette of something. Silhouette of something. Okay. And terrified, they turned and they ran all the way back to Harper's house. Now, a mother and her 21-year-old daughter also came forward and claimed to have had an encounter with a similar creature with the same sort of odor about a week prior to the sighting of Kathleen and, and her group. And this actually resulted in the daughter being so shaken up by her experience that she ended up spending three weeks in the hospital because of the encounter. Ooh. Eugene Lemon's mother claimed at the approximate time of the saucer sighting, her house had been violently shaken and her radio cut out for 45 minutes. So some sort of disruption there. Definitely hear that in a lot more of the uh, UFO encounters, you know, driving down a road and the radio and, you know, cuts up, yeah. the headlights go out, motor stalls. The director of the local board of education claimed to have seen a flying saucer take off about 6.30 a.m. on the morning of the 13th, so the next day. And the other encounter here that I really found interesting on September 13th, the next day after the sighting, uh, there was another strange sighting about 20 miles south near Strange Creek. I mean, what, what a strange better place. Creek. Yeah, what a better place to have an encounter with something. Where are you going? Mama, we're going to Strange Creek. So George and Edith Snatowski were driving between Clay and Braxton counties. They had their infant son in the car with them when their car unexpectedly broke down. So George gets out. He's trying to figure out what's going on. He tries to restart the car without any luck. It's getting late. The road's deserted. It's dark. Just talking about this. Yep. And suddenly they notice a, a horrible sulfurous stench. I mean, it's bad enough it makes the baby start crying. The baby just starts bawling. And then the night seemed to become filled with a bright, strange light. And they look around. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And in front of the car, they see a 10-foot-tall, dark creature that seemed to be hovering just slightly off the ground. That 10 foot tall seems to be a reoccurring. They describe the creature as being reptilian and bony. They can see the creature's face. It's reptilian and Lizard bony. Lizard man kind of thing. So my thought here is the creature was not wearing the hood. The it was wearing the night before. Okay. It drug its claws across the hood before floating off into the woods. Now, as soon as it's out of sight, you know, George jumps back in. He's trying to do whatever he can. He's got to start this car. They manage to start the car and they drive off terrified. So was this... Now, what time frame was that? Well, it would have been the next day at, at night. So And in the same region? Same area. He's, uh, what, I say 20, 20 miles south. Totally agree with you. This is this is related. This, I mean, yeah, except for maybe he just doesn't have his hood on or whatever. But it, it's got to be a similar creature, the same height, floating off the ground, clawed hands. Yeah, yeah. Now, like we said earlier, Flatwoods uh, now celebrates what they call Flatwoods Days. Which is a yearly festival in memory of the legend of the Flatwoods Monster. They even have a sign they've put up there to, to greet people as they come into town. They, they have a museum that's been established located in the town of Sutton, which is the Braxton County seat. 
and the Braxton County Convention and Visitors Bureau also has built a series of five chairs in the shape of the monster, which I saw the pictures of. They're, yeah. they're fairly ridiculous. Yes. But apparently, if you get your picture taken while sitting in all five chairs, you get some sort of special sticker or something. Yep. Free Braxy. Yeah. Stickers. Some locals will claim that around the 12th of September every year, you can hear hissing sounds in the woods and smell a metallic smell in the air. So it is the, the Flatwoods beast, the Flatwoods monster. Is it still lurking out there? Wow. My thought would be he's long since packed up and gone home, but. Yeah, I think, I mean, this, no disrespect to Flatwoods, but probably moved on to a bigger city, you know, at least someplace with pizza delivery or something. <laughs> but again, such an outlandish creature. There were people who followed up, you know, who interviewed the maze, you know, newspaper and, and, and locals. And they absolutely believe that, that Kathleen and the, and the boys and their friends, you know, Lemon and all them, that they legitimately saw something in the woods that night. Yep. Now, what did they see? So, but one theory is, of course, that they just saw a great big old owl up in the tree. Now, Bill, I was hoping you wasn't going to go down this rabbit hole. But... I know. Every time we talk about some kind of weird alien creature, it's almost always somebody wants to say, oh, it's an owl. Well, I come across as uh, this was in 2000. I mean, you got to think how long ago the the story came from, but as, you know, as, as early as 2000, after investigating the case in 2000, a, a gentleman by the name of Joe Nickel of the Committee of Skeptical Inquiry. That con- is not who needs to be investigating That does these. not need to be who we need to be doing this. Come on, we need to step up, people. He concluded that the bright light in the sky reported by witnesses on September 12th was most likely that of a meteor. Okay. I'm with you, maybe, well, there, possibly. Like I said, there was a meteor shower that night. Yep. So I yep. can understand. I can understand but that. Have you ever seen a meteor shower? I have. They're not usually the big, bright, flaming no. balls of fire. No. Um, You'll see the little shooting stars here and there. Now, now, he had some explanations for some of this, because I could imagine somebody sitting right across from him <laughs> and saying the exact same things back. So here, I will play the role of Joe Nichols. Back to you. Well, the pulsating red light that was reported was most likely that of an aircraft navigational or hazard beacon, possibly of that airplane that crashed. This guy's full of answers. You know, whatever you come, he's going to come back with you. And he says, the creature described by witnesses, he believes, closely resembles that of an owl. He says, the long fingers, they are describing an owl's talons. Well, I mean, if an owl... Don't they have like a threatening posture where they put their wings up over their head? It depends on the owl uh, species, but yes, um, you're going to argue, I'm going to argue, a 10-foot tall owl. Oh, well, he was in a tree. He was in a tree. He was backlit by something. Okay. Do you think... And he sprayed oil all over Kathleen? 10 feet (laughs) tall, you would not be able to see that there was no body? I mean, there would just be a tree trunk at like... At least nine foot of that. Well, do do space? owls spray oil on people? Do they have pleated clothing made of aluminum foil-like material? Do they, do they smell like metal? I don't think they smell like metal. Now, whatever liquid ooey goos, I will say, and I've told this story before uh, on the podcast. Buzzards will regurgitate well, yeah. and spit thing. up vomit. But we're not talking about buzzards here. We're talking about owls because you know you come across it, you frightened an owl in a tree. 10 feet tall. You don't mean to tell me you're going to see an owl 10 foot up in a tree and you can't see that there's a tree trunk below when it is obviously stated it is backlit. <laughs> Wasn't it the Loveland frog that they tried to say it was a, a moose calf? Yeah. Even though they don't have moose in the area? Yeah. 
So, I mean... You're grasping at straws, buddy. I'm willing to say... As much as anybody else. I can understand the misidentification of an owl if you wanted to draw the picture and all that and say, okay, look, certain owls do kind of fluff up and and I could almost get the Ace of Spades appearance, but still. well, well, And and that doesn't explain some of the other sightings. It doesn't explain the sighting on the road where... Gliding across and using the fingernails on the hood and... Now, Nickel concludes that the shape, the movement, the sounds reported by the witnesses were also very consistent with the silhouettes of flight patterns of a startled barn owl perched on a tree limb, leading researchers to conclude that foliage beneath the owl may have created the illusion of the lower portions of the creature described as being a pleated green or aluminum foil type skirt. Researchers also conclude that the witness's inability to agree on whether the creature had arms, combined with May's report of it having small claw-like hands, which extended in front of it. So now are we saying these are just like floating? There's no arms attached to these? Because this just got a whole lot creepier. It also matched the description of a barn owl with its talons gripping a tree branch. Again, if it is an owl, so its talons are literally right up here by its face, and it's 10 foot tall. Nothing. No. No. But they say it approached them. Yeah. So, yeah. again, even. Okay, there's no way an owl has its wings up over its head and can fly forward. No. And if it's flying towards them, an owl can't slowly glide. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it has to be moving. Well, they, they could glide down, but it's not the same thing. It's just. No. I'm not sure I buy the owl explanation. No. I don't buy the owl. I don't buy the owl. Possibly the plane, possibly a meteor, asteroid. But then you have the first-hand accounts. You have the nauseating smell. You have the fog and the smoke. You have that metallicness. You have multiple-color blinking lights. I don't think owls fly around with Christmas tree lights (laughs) on them. Um, Yeah, yeah. But this was in 2000. People, skeptics, are still out there trying to beat this story down. You know, in the year 2000, when something happened back mid-century. It's just interestingly crazy. Well, whatever they saw, I mean, it obviously traumatized them. And the people that knew them believe they saw something. And these people, again, they're they're hunters. They walk the wood. Don't you think they would recognize what a barn owl looks like? And that's always been my argument for a lot of these things. You from the city want to come down as yeah. a skeptic. You might not realize what a barn owl looks and sounds like, but and that's always been my like I said. That's always been my argument for a lot of these things. That a lot of times they're like, oh, people misidentified. They saw something in the middle. Like you said, these are people who lived in the area. They're familiar with the creatures. You know, the people that go hunting, they go out in the woods, whatnot. You have a a national guardsman. You know, someone who yeah. should be a person who's, trained, whose opinion that we should. Or you know his his first hand account we should trust that he he's should be reliable but yeah I, I mean whatever they saw they believe they saw something and other people in the area believe that they also encountered it something so uh, like I said when I first went into this I didn't realize there were other encounters in the area I thought I it was just the I one I didn't realize that but other people claimed to have seen a, a flying saucer that the one family claimed to see a creature that bears a striking resemblance to our our Flatwoods monster there except for. He didn't have his hood on, and he had a bony reptilian face. Right. So, what was it? I mean, maybe that was his helmet. Maybe that was a hood. Maybe that was some piece of uniform or whatever. Breathing apparatus, mask, whatever. Who knows? Well, here we are, still gathered around the table from September 12th, 1952, a story that still haunts us, that skeptics are still trying to disprove, 
and believers are still wanting to try to believe in. This is yet just another example of what you'll find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. We'll let you be the judge. Thanks for listening. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me (laughs) and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.